As I continue the uh, series on the Holy Spirit, I'll be reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. I told the first service, I said, looking at those pictures really brought back a ton of memories for me. I remember when we were cleaning out uh, the parts department for the children, you know, to turn into the children's section, and, uh, and I brought my three sons, 16, 14, and 12, and I gave them all a sledgehammer, and I said, destroy. It was pure joy on their part to give a teenage boy a sledgehammer and just go whack at anything you want except your brothers. And uh, that was great. Plus, I told them in the first service, I said, you know, when I saw them spraying the asbestos up here, I'm so glad it's sticking. Um, and then Pastor Linda said, that's not funny. But I thought I'd, I thought I'd try it again. Anyway. Starting with Luke 10, 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, why don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. That sounds like sisters. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. In today's text, Mary and Martha are practicing Middle East hospitality and hosting Jesus. In the Middle East, then and now, it was through meals that friendships were formed. It was through meals that friendships were deepened. It was through leisurely evenings in people's homes where deep bonding took place. The importance of hosting friends and family is still critically important in that part of the world. Meals equal friendship, deep friendship. They are more than just eating. And on this night, their guest was their rabbi, Jesus their master. Only the best for him. This night was important. But Mary does something different than what was expected of her. She sits at Jesus' feet, listening, absorbing. Sitting at someone's feet, by the way, is a technical term. It means, back in that day, 2,000 years ago, if you sat at someone's, at your rabbi's feet, as Mary did, it mean, meant you considered yourself a full disciple of that rabbi. And the fact that Jesus allowed her to do it meant that Jesus considered her a full disciple too. Mary was doing what men only did back then. She was breaking into the good old boys club. Jesus was inviting Mary to do something revolutionary. Mary was venturing into new territory, unheard of territory. I hear, you know, so many times I listen to the critics of Christianity going, oh, the church and Christians suppress women, da-da-da. No. It was Jesus who liberated women. It was Jesus who made them equal. It was Jesus who invited them into his movement. It was Jesus who made them disciples. And it was Jesus who made them leadership. And if you don't like female leadership in a church, we are the wrong church for you. I got bad news. There's the door. Martha was doing what the culture valued in women. Cooking, cleaning, attending to guests. 
And she complained that Mary wasn't helping her. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. I need to point out here that Jesus was not putting down Martha. He was not demeaning what she was doing. His comments were not about anything, any appropriate, inappropriate actions on Martha's part. It wasn't what Martha was doing that concerned Jesus, but the spirit in which she was doing it. Worried and upset, distracted, hurried, harried. Dallas Willard pointed out that there is a world of difference between being busy and being hurried. There's a world of difference between being busy and being distracted and upset. Busy is inevitable in our time, isn't it? Busyness is a part of doing business in this world now. It's an outward condition of our existence. It's, it's normal. But being hurried is an inner condition, a condition of the soul. It means I'm so preoccupied with myself, my problems, my tasks, my agenda, my worries, that I'm unable to be fully present with God or myself or other people. Being in a hurry and being loving are almost impossible. Have you noticed? When I get in a car and I'm in a hurry, I find I'm not nearly the spiritual giant I am now. I say things that I would not want tape recorded. I have added, you know, the only thing that holds me back, sometimes I have to admit what holds me back in a car from honking my horn or making signals <laughs> is there's been a couple of times when I was ready to pull the trigger, it was one of you. <laughs> Learn to drive. <laughs> Jesus was often busy, but he was never hurried. He rested in God, even when human activity and human need swirled all around him. Jesus never got rattled. Jesus never had a hurried soul, even when he was saving the world. Martha had a hurried soul over getting supper ready. Jesus told Martha, in essence, look, why did you invite me here? Was it to host the perfect party or was it to be with me? Mary is with me right now. Mary has chosen the most important thing tonight, the one necessary thing. Martha, you can be with me too. Today I want to talk about prayer because the kingdom of God is a kingdom of prayer. Prayer, being with Jesus, is the one necessary thing in Christianity. Jesus said that being in his presence then and now, is the one thing that will not be taken from us, the one thing that cannot be taken from us. It is our lifeline to heaven. It is how we bring in the kingdom. The first thing Jesus taught was to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What Jesus was saying is, before you do anything, pray. Before you act, pray. Before you plan, pray. This was the model of Jesus' life. I think there are two basic types of prayer. And the most basic type of prayer is modeled by Mary. The most basic type of prayer is sitting at the feet of Jesus, taking Him in. Prayer is not learned in books, by the way. It's not learned on DVDs. It's not even learned in sermons, even this sermon. You learn to pray by praying. There is no other way. 
and our teacher is the Spirit Himself. He was sent expressly to interact with us and teach us how to pray. Ephesians says, pray in the Spirit with, on all occasions with all kinds of prayer requests. At its core, prayer is not just primarily about spoken words. Prayer is when, like a child, we lift our hearts up and all that is in them to Jesus. Prayer, if I'm honest with you, is not about your head so much as your heart. It is primitive. It is emotional. It is heart stuff. Often the most powerful prayers are tears without words or groanings that go beyond words. By the way, isn't that how Paul said in Romans 8, the Spirit prays for us with groanings that go beyond words? Why shouldn't we? Sometimes all I can do in prayer is open up my soul wide and just go, Jesus. I have no words for what I feel, Jesus. Sometimes all I can do is groan or let the tears flow. Sometimes all I can do, sometimes the most powerful prayer I have is when I ache in front of God. Prayer starts with me. You know, sometimes I even do this. I take my hands as a cup and I go, Lord, here, I offer to you my fear. I offer to you my anxiety. I offer to you my temptation, my hope, my fatigue. I offer these things up in my heart to you. Will you please take them? And then put what you want me to have back in the cup. How do you learn to pray? Prayer is so simple a child can do it. I like what Fenelon, the great French mystic, great teacher of prayer said. You want to know how to pray? Pray, here's, here's how you start. If you want to learn how to pray, Fenelon says... Pour out your heart to God, all your weaknesses, your needs, your troubles. If you pour out all your weaknesses, needs, and troubles, there will be no lack for what to say. You will never exhaust the subject. It is continually being renewed. People who have no secrets from each other never lack subjects of conversation. They do not weigh their words because there's nothing to be kept back. Neither do they seek for something to say. They talk together out of the abundance of their heart without consideration with, what, with you know, just whatever they think. That's prayer. You want to know how to pray? Start with your life. Start with where you are. Start with who you are. Ultimately, like Mary... Prayer is sitting at Jesus' feet and giving him space in my life to reveal himself to me, to speak to me, to touch me. I have found that God will find us if we want to be found. What that looks like and feels like will vary from person to person based on God's wisdom and love and our needs. Again, I do not, nor do you, control God we are to make ourselves available for what the Spirit wants to give us after we pour out our hearts, after we pray our lives, after we pray our fears, our pains, our joys, after we pray where we are and we ask God for what we want. After we do all of that, we are to wait on the Lord and see what He gives us. 
You know, last week I preached on the, the spirit blows where it will, and we don't know where the, the wind is going to blow. Sometimes God answers prayer. But you know, most of the time I find God doesn't answer prayer exactly as I suggest. This upsets me tremendously. I want what I want when I want it. But the wind doesn't work that way. Because we often don't know what our real needs are. Isn't that what Paul said? We do not know how to pray as we ought. We think we need A. God thinks we need Z. God gives us what we need. But often, he and I are on different pages. We may think we need a new car after some drunk has run into it and smashed it. What we discover is that God thinks we need patience more than we need a new car. Don't you hate that? <laughs> we may think we need more money, but God may think we need to learn to depend on him more instead of money, and he answers that prayer his way. We may think we need a spouse, but Jesus may think we need more of Jesus more than another human being. As C.S. Lewis so astutely put it, we often contend with, we often are content with mud pies when God wants to give us filet mignon. A lot of prayer involves waiting on the Lord until He gives us His deeper answers to our prayers and our requests. And part of our job is after we tell Jesus how we think He ought to run the universe, it's to stay open to how He actually is going to run the universe. No. The ultimate goal of all this, though, is to keep our lives before God, Christ so that we, He, God can give us what He really wants to give us. And you know what is the main thing God wants to give you? Himself. His Spirit. His Son. The one thing necessary. God has put into us this inexhaustible hunger for Himself. And unfortunately, we, we, we slake that hunger. We diminish that hunger with softball leagues and specialized programming and entertaining services. In some churches, it's easier to learn how to diet than it is to learn how to pray. There is only one area where we are infinite as humans. We are infinite in our neediness. And the way that neediness comes out is that we are infinite in our hunger Hunger for more. The one universal thing about every person in this room, every human on earth, is we want more. We want more money, more stuff, more smarts, more friends, more power. Let me tell you a secret this morning. This inexhaustible hunger we all feel is our souls crying out for God. As one writer put it, the truth is the soul's infinite capacity to desire is the mirror image of God's infinite capacity to give and fill that soul. The infinite neediness we have, the never-ending quest for more, is meant to point us to God, is meant to drive us to God. Because anything less than God will not fill the bottomless pit that is our soul's. Anything that we use to fill our souls besides God, besides that, becomes an idol becomes an addiction, and addictions break us. They depress us. They destroy us, don't they? A created 
thing cannot fill an infinite need. Only an infinite being can fill an infinite need. There is only one thing necessary. And Mary found it sitting at my feet. And that is God Himself. That is why we pray. To let the real God and His Spirit do what nothing else in the universe can do. Fill us. Satisfy us. Set us on fire. Consume us with an inexhaustible love. Our souls must orbit around something besides itself. But we get distracted, don't we? Just like Martha. We get consumed with other things besides God's love poured into our hearts by the Spirit. When Jesus talked about the parable of the soils, remember? He said, some soil is hard. He said, you throw seed on it and it just bounces off, never even gets a chance to grow. And he said, some soil is shallow. It's about an inch deep. And the, 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 the plant, the seed grows quickly, but it can't send down roots. It hits the rocks and it withers away quickly. Start great, die quick. And then he said, so, but there's some soils are good. And the plant grows and it flourishes. But then he says, the problem with healthy plants in good soil is the weeds. The worries of the world, the busyness of life, the weeds of sin, they come and choke out the good plant. We become distracted like Martha. We lose touch with our souls and the Holy Spirit operating in them. Not because of sin, but because we're simply not paying attention anymore. We're running around the kitchen. This is why we must prioritize the one necessary thing. Jesus and His Spirit must be the focus of our lives. This is why there is no substitute for giving everything to God. For Christ must be the center of everything, or else Christianity simply doesn't work. The Spirit gets grieved. The heart of the Spirit becomes quenched from lack of attention. You see, for most Christians in our culture, it is not great sin that shipwrecks us. It's distractedness. It's apathy. It's we lose interest and drift away quietly. A lot of us are willing to give God some part of our lives. But giving God the entirety of our lives? That's a whole nother ball game, isn't it? We feel terrified of the notion of losing control. And so we separate God's demands and the Spirit's work and, and put it in a small corner in the back room. But the Spirit will not be compartmentalized. He will not be domesticated and put in the backyard with a dog. Christ will not let himself in the work of his spirit be one of 20 things on our list of 20 things to do today. If God is just one of 20 things on your list, he, it's already bad. He insists we receive his best. He insists we yield to something greater than ourselves. He insists we stop putting up barriers to his love. He insists we set, let our hearts be set on fire from the throne of God. That we be filled with nothing less than himself. That is what Augustine prayed 1,600 years ago. Not your gifts, Lord, but you. Augustine didn't just want things from God. He didn't want stuff. He didn't even want spiritual blessings. He said, I want you. I want your best. The best thing God can ever give you is himself. Amen. We must not 
be distracted from the one necessary thing. We must not dilute Jesus' message. We must not play around with it. You know, sometimes I envy a little bit, not not a whole lot, but sometimes I envy people in very poor countries. In desperately poor countries, all that many Christians have is Jesus and His Spirit. They can depend on nothing else. There's nothing else to depend on. They are not distracted by things like we are. They have no cars to maintenance, no houses to keep up, no infinite variety of options put in front of them day after day through the media and down at Walmart. You know, when we brought uh, people from all over the world to the Mennonite World Conference and you take them for the first time to a Walmart, they almost faint. All they have is Christ in each other. The Holy Spirit is at the center of all they are. He is their wealth. And there's very little competition to compete with that true wealth. They depend on Him alone. And the Spirit honors that. When Jesus is your source, when Jesus is your love, when Jesus is the center of it all, guess what? You start seeing miracles. They see more miracles there than we do here. They see realities that we, with do not see with so many distractions in front of our eyes. That is why we pray. That is why we seek the one necessary thing. That is why we cry out to God, make me hungry for the real food of heaven. Please, Lord, make me greedy for true wealth. Help me sit at your feet and surrender to your best. And if we do that, Christ's Spirit, guess what? When when you get close to God like that, God will change you from the inside out. When my heart is on fire with the love of God, I won't just do the things Jesus wants me to do. I will want to do the things Jesus wants me to do. They will appeal to me. They will make sense to me. I won't just obey. I will want to obey I won't just pray. I will want to be in His presence. I won't just worship. It will be my joy to worship as the Spirit glorifies Christ in and through me. I won't just witness. It will come out of me naturally. I will change from the inside out when the Spirit is operating. I will fall in love with Jesus. And His life will pour through me by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you want to know what is the most important thing in this world, that needs to happen to you to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, I can tell you right now, you need to fall in love with Jesus. Head over heels, totally committed to Jesus. That's why the Spirit has been given. To reveal Jesus' heart so that we will give Him ours. And when that happens, we will begin to care about what Christ cares about. We will pray in the Spirit we will find our concerns aligning with the Spirit's concerns. We will start interceding. And by the way, I said there's two kinds of prayers. The first one is deeply personal prayer. The second is intercession. And intercession is when the Spirit's burdens become my burdens. Jim Simbala is the pastor of a big church in, in New York City. And he said, I met a young lady attending his church's youth group. 
She said he was she was pretty and intelligent, but when he talked to her, she wouldn't even make eye contact. What's wrong, Simbala asked. She didn't even pause for a second with her answer. I'm mad at my mother, my father, my school, God, and Jesus. I'm mad at everybody. Simbala said, I learned gang members were trying to recruit this precious girl who was already fighting against so much. She lived in a tough neighborhood that swallowed kids like her whole. In addition, she had a terrible home life. No one talked to her or tried to understand her or help her. Simbala said, I shared with her Jesus' love and planned for her life as best I could, but he said, I got nowhere. He says, as I talked and prayed with dozens of people that Sunday, I couldn't get that young lady out of my mind and out of my heart. Even without pursuing it, I found myself praying daily for her with a deep concern, as if she was my own grandchild. He said, with so many prayer requests in a church like ours with well over, you know, thousands of people, how do you think that preteen girl became the main topic of my petitions and intercession? Was it Satan or my carnal nature or the spirit of this selfish world behind it all? Not hardly. He said, for some reason, the Holy Spirit arranged for me to meet her, and then he deposited a burden of prayer in me so I could fight for a girl whom Christ loved and died for. And the main battle was taking place in heavenly places. He said, I didn't ask for that. I wasn't looking for another personal prayer project. But although the, her battle is far from over, he said, I'm beginning to see answers. God is moving in her life. Brothers and sisters, that is praying in the Spirit. That is God aligning our hearts with His hearts. That is God sharing His burdens with us, entrusting His burdens with us. Virginia Smith tells of a similar story. She talked about how God leads her to pray in the Spirit. Virginia Smith is an intercessor. A lot of people know about her. And you know how she starts her prayers every day? She says, Lord, what is on your heart today? And he said, so she, she said, sometimes he gives me a revelation. Sometimes he is silent. Both happen. But she says, sometimes he may do what he did to me one day when he uttered one word. The Spirit said to me when I asked that question, she said, Peru. Virginia Smith asked, Lord, what about Peru? And she said, suddenly my heart was broken. I wept uncontrollably, not understanding why. Suddenly I knew that God had spiritually enlarged me with groaning from the Spirit to bear a burden impossible for a mere mortal. It was the burden of God Almighty coming through my heart. Mental images of children began to flash before I mind, my mind. I saw the faces of Peruvian children. I was weeping for the children of Peru. And she said, as in this situation, as I prayed for the children of Peru, my weeping intensified. God was giving me his burden and praying through me. God was giving his, me his heart and praying through me. She said, I, I changed directions on a couple of times. But he, he, she, she said, as soon as I changed direction, the burden left, the tears stopped, the prayer went dead. She said, I had to keep coming back to that burden. Otherwise, I would have aborted the intercessory assignment 
for my own comfort and convenience. She said, as I prayed for Peru, I knew that when the travail stopped and the Lord released me, my assignment in prayer with the Spirit was completed. In some situations, she says, the Lord may give me names or places. Sometimes he gives a country or images or impressions. He may give scripture. She says, exercise discipline and do not quit praying before the breakthroughs of God are completed. If possible, the enemy and your flesh will distract you. Oh, there's that word again. Distract you. Distract you. Satan and his minions will do anything to cause you to abort God's purpose. They are absolutely terrified of what you are doing and would give anything to have the power that is available to you in prayer. Your prayer is an appeal to your unlimited God. So fortify yourself to pray until you feel the release of the burden and have witness in your heart of the victory. This is praying in the Spirit, brothers and sisters, at the highest level. The good news is that the kingdom of God is closer than you think. It's available to ordinary men and women and children. It is available to people like you and me. We can be a part of the kingdom. We can be used by the Spirit. We can be filled by the Spirit now. We can pray in the Spirit now. It all starts from the center of our hearts. Because once you start there, praying your life, praying, bringing the small stuff to God, it never stops at the center of your heart. It goes into all the world as you join with the Spirit in prayer. Mark Buchanan writes, There are times for me when prayer is not only a cry for the kingdom, it is the tangible experience of the kingdom. He says, I've attended, and so have you, prayer meetings so dull and so depressing that even the devil falls asleep at them. <laughs> he falls asleep because he knows these prayer meetings are a threat to nothing he's got. He said, the prayers rise no higher than the ceiling, reach no farther than Aunt Mildred's bad knees or little Billy's meeting with the principal in the morning or dear Betty's interview for a new job on Wednesday. The tone is moaning and bemoaning, the tenor disbelieving, the subject matter banal. And he says, it's not that God doesn't care about little things like Billy and Aunt Betty's interview. Or he, God tells us he cares. That's how we draw close to him is bringing every little thing we have to him. God cares about sparrows and lilies and all that. He really does. It's part of our personal prayer life. But Buchanan says, it's just that our prayers get stuck there. As though the main business of heaven is sorting out our bus schedules or finding us a parking lot down at the mall or smoothing our little wrinkles or getting our cars to run forever without maintenance. I've tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> Buchanan says, I love those prayer meetings when we storm the gates of hell. When we wrestle with God and refuse to let go until he blesses us. When we command mountains to throw themselves into the sea, and they do. He says, I love those times when we cry for the kingdom and it comes. When we ask God to bring us people far from him. And two days later, seven show up and give their hearts to Christ. Or when we ask God to heal a marriage that, that looks hopelessly shattered beyond all mending. And not only does God restore that marriage, he makes it the source of healing for other marriages. 
Great prayer is when we in childlike trust open up all we are to God and pray the stuff of our lives. Prayer is when we give the Spirit space to reveal Christ and His love to us. Great prayer is that when the end product is done and we have surrendered all we are, we have fallen head over heels in love with Jesus. But world-changing intercessory prayer is not just when we pray our lives. It's when we say, Lord, what is on your heart today? Share your burdens with me. Help align my heart with yours. Where do we start? If you want to start, pray that the Spirit will help us pray. That is a good place to start. Pray that we will seek the one necessary thing. Pray for a hunger for God's Spirit and that none of us will be satisfied with anything less than being filled with that Spirit. Pray to be consumed by the love of Jesus Christ made real by the Spirit. Pray that our spirits align with His. Pray for the kingdom to come. Let it start right here. And then go to the church. And then go into the world and into the earth. Where do we start? Pray your life. And if your soul is as dry as dust, pray that. If you have drifted from God, where do you start praying? You say, I have drifted from God. My soul is as dry as dust. Meet me here. God needs to meet you where you are. Not where you think you ought to be. Don't make this about willpower. Make this about intimacy. Pray that we will pray. This is where the Spirit starts. This is where the moves of the Spirit end on our knees. If we want revival, If we want to see a great move of the Holy Spirit, this is the one necessary thing. Because prayer does not just help the work of God. Prayer is the work of God. The Spirit is moving. Our goal is not to twist God's arm. Our goal is to get ready to receive what God is going to give us. Our goal is to be open to the moves of the Spirit you know, I, to take Ezekiel's example, you know, remember he said, he said, he said there, you know, there was water and it came up to my ankles and then it came up to my knees and then it came up to my, you know, kept, kept rising until I needed a lifeguard. And right now, if I were to tell you, I think the water's at our ankles, but the water's flowing and the water is here. The question is, are we getting ready for the water to rise? Because God has something for us. He wants to give us himself. He wants to fill us with his spirit. He wants to take us to the next level. He wants the water to go up. That's why we pray. And so I'm going to conclude this sermon with this simple thing. I'd like you to close your eyes. I was going to say I want you to close your head and bow your eyes. That would be hard. And I want you... I want you to just open yourself to God and offer yourself to God where you are this morning. But I want you to focus on one thing. When it comes to giving all of yourself to God, Wednesday night we talked about this in Multiply. The last question, and I kind of changed it. The last question was, what are you afraid of?
when it comes to God and His Spirit, when it comes to the Lordship of Christ and surrender, when it, what are you afraid of? And I want you to take a moment with God on that in silence. Lord Jesus, help us to do the one necessary thing. Help us to sit at your feet and receive from you. Help us to pour out our lives to you and then let you pour out your life on us. Thank you, Lord, that the water is rising. Help us, Lord, to not be afraid of it. Help us, Lord, to be open to everything you want to give us, to yourself, to your best. Help us be ready for your best. Thank you for the people you're touching right now. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I'd like uh, the worship team or whoever, the Kellys, to come forward. I'd like the intercessors to come forward. We will pray with you, for you about anything. But if the Spirit's dealing with you, I'd like to invite you to just stay seated and let the Spirit deal with you. If you want to stand and sing and worship this last song, that's fine too. If you want to linger, that's fine. The altar will be open for anything, but would you stand, and like I said, unless the Spirit's dealing, would you stand?
and we are going to pray for people and conclude the service. God forgave my sin in Jesus' name. I've been born again in Jesus' name. And in Jesus' name I come to you to share. Jesus, Holy Spirit, Father, do with us what you will. Help us, Lord, to receive what you are giving and to pray until we are ready to receive what you are giving. Go with us now as we leave this place. We can't wait to see what you do in the days ahead. In Jesus' name, amen.